Hey, I'm Jazz, the founder of Let's Sleep, and over the last few years, I've helped hundreds of parents go from tired, overwhelmed, and all-consumed about their baby's sleep to well-rested and totally confident. With a career in midwifery, maternal and child health nursing, and now infant and child sleep consulting, I'm bringing you all my words of wisdom to this podcast. The Let's Sleep podcast is for parents wanting to be totally empowered navigating their little one's sleep from birth to five years of age. Honest and educational conversations to give you the tools you need to make sleep easy. Let's do this. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about our signature program, Let's Flourish. Let's Flourish helps parents with little ones ages four to 24 months that are running on zero sleep, get back their sleep and transition their baby to happy cot sleeps, even if they don't have a textbook baby so that they can master a predictable schedule that fuels a freedom and energy filled lifestyle. The best part about this program is that you can literally start anytime. You can literally book in and start today and get the support and guidance and tailored action steps you need to get sleep sorted. I know it feels overwhelming. I know you might've bought sleep guides before. Maybe you've been to sleep school. You might've even worked with another sleep consultant or multiple before. I've heard it all and I know that if you were in that boat, you're going to be feeling like things are just impossible to change. You might've just given up all hope that things can improve, Um, but I can assure you that they definitely can. And all it is, is getting that concrete plan in place and getting the right support. And I'm so excited to help you. So drop into my DMs on Instagram or head over to the website. Um, It's letsleep.com.au forward slash let's flourish and you can book in and get started straight away. Let's get into the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to episode seven of the Let's Sleep podcast. I'm super excited for today's episode and I know I say that almost every week, but this episode is particularly relevant to this stage in my parenting journey. Um, And I know that from the question box I put on my story, there was a lot of um, answers that came through and things that you really want to know about toddler sleep. So I know that it's relevant to a lot of you as well. So in today's episode, I'm going to be covering five of the most common issues, hurdles, challenges, whatever you want to call them, that you may experience or may have already been experiencing beyond the age of about two. So this is really relevant to little ones from around two to about three and a half or so. And these five challenges are, these have come from questions in the the story box that came through and there they there are a lot of reoccurring themes and this is because these are really the most common things that i see in the toddler age group so i'm going to run through what they are number one is moving from cot to big bed the second is when when to trim the nap when do you start trimming that day nap back you know if it's starting to affect things what does that look like number three is dropping the lunch nap altogether so when do you when do you do that final nap transition? We are sadly, I think we're coming up to it 
uh, you know, in the next few months, I feel like, yeah, we're sort of having to trim that lunch nap back. And I think it might be RIP lunch nap soon, unfortunately, um, that I'm going to talk about, yeah, dropping that lunch nap altogether and when you might expect that. Number four is bedtime stalling. And this isn't actually talked about a lot. And it's a very, very important part of Uh, especially once our little ones are in big beds and especially when they're coming into that two to three year age group where they are incredibly aware and they love to play, they get FOMO and they stall at bedtime. So how do we navigate that so that we, you know, we really support them for their sleep. And then the fifth one is throwing comforters out of the bed. (laughs) And a couple of people asked this in the question box on my story. Um, and yeah, it's um, super common for toddlers and also for younger babies. So that one will be relevant to both. So I just also want to s- just kick off with saying I've had so many beautiful messages in the last few weeks about how much you're loving this podcast. This is episode seven. So it's been running for seven weeks. I have previously had Let's Parent the Podcast, which the whole back catalog for that is is in um, the, the Let's Sleep podcast. Um, you know, you can find it in there. So if you want to listen to any of those older episodes, um, feel free to do that. And I'm just so happy that this podcast has been so well received, that it's providing value for you. It's really helping you navigate your little one's sleep more confidently and just helping you become more aware of things that might be going on and how to troubleshoot them with your little one. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all the beautiful messages. Um, If you haven't already, hit subscribe. I'd love if you could subscribe to this podcast. And also, if you've been loving it, leave a review um, on your podcast platform. So tell me, you know, what's your favorite episode? What do you love about this podcast? And, you know, why have you been listening um, and, you know, continuing to come back each week? Um, A few people have said that they are religiously listening every week, which is just, yeah, it really warms my heart. So thank you so much. So into the episode. So number one, moving from cot to big bed. Now, this is a big transition. There's a few reasons for this. Obviously, when we move our little ones from cot to big bed, there's no bars on there on the bed anymore and they can get up freely. So that's why I am a big advocate for waiting as long as possible before you move them out of their cot. And that's so that they have a little bit more self-control and they understand a little bit more that, you know, bedtime is bedtime and that concept of staying in bed. Now we have to do a few other things to really support them to understand that. But generally, you know, if depending on a couple of factors, if you can support your little one to stay in their cot as close to sort of two and a half to three, if possible, then that is ideal. Um, The reason why you would move your little one from a cot to big bed is literally if they're showing signs that they're going to climb out or they have got out of the cots because we don't want them to hurt themselves from getting out um, and falling onto the floor. So that's definitely the point at which you would need to move them to a big bed. Um, And, you know, if that point isn't until they're three or they're three and a half, um, you know, some people do have their little ones in cots for, for a fairly long time and that's okay if they're comfortable in there, if they're fitting in their cot still, you don't have to rush to move them. I see a lot of people rush and move their little ones to big beds, you know, before the age of two and it, um, 
it really is something to be avoided. They just don't have impulse control under that age of two. And it's just a lot more likely that they are going to repeatedly get out of bed. And um, yeah, you can't really communicate with them as effectively as you can when they are closer to two and a half and three. So that's when you look at moving them is when they're physically, you know, trying to get out or showing signs of getting out. That's when you need to move them to a big bed. Um, The other thing to think about when you move them to a big bed is getting them really involved in the process. So we want this to be fun and exciting. Let them help, you know, pick the pick the bed sheets, pick a pillow, um, help them, you know, get them to help actually set up the bed, putting the sheets on, get them really involved so they feel really a, a big connection with that bed and they're excited about it. So get them super involved, take them shopping, um, get them to help you put the sheets on, even if it makes the process slower and yeah, and make it fun for, for everyone so that it's a really, uh, you know, really positive thing. And then in terms of the first week or two, when you move them to a big bed, it is really normal for some little ones to obviously get out of bed because they can, some don't, it's like they, you know, the lights go off and they're actually kind of forget that they're in a big bed and they don't get up. I hear that quite often, but some will get out of their big bed and, you know, the younger they are, the more likely that that is. So if your little one is getting out of bed, um, and you know, coming out of their room, walking down the hallway into your room, etc. Depending on your goals, if you want them to sleep in their in their bed independently and not be coming into your bed, for example, or not be roaming around the house, which most, most parents don't, what I'd really recommend is be very consistent with your plan for what you're going to do. Have a plan, you know, with your yourself and your partner, if you have one, of exactly what you're going to do when they come out of the room or, you know, when they get out of their bed. So there's a couple of things that I'd suggest. Um, it's it's called it's a called a silent return, basically. So I'd recommend take your little one straight back to bed. Really minimize interaction. We don't want to make it fun and exciting for them to get out of bed. So just quietly hold their hand, take them back to bed, pop them back, and then go back to your bed. And you may need to return them to bed quite a few times. That's really normal. Um, and, you know, we just, we need to set those healthy, supportive boundaries from the start. This isn't in a negative way. It's just a healthy, supportive boundary so that they know what to expect. If you want them to sleep in their bed, then that's really going to help them understand that it's nighttime, it's time for sleep, and you stay in your bed overnight. So that's the first little tip. The second thing you can consider Particularly if you have, um, I know for us, you know, we have dogs and I don't really don't want Hazel wandering around the house from a safety perspective and, you know, going and jumping on the dogs while they're sleeping. So um, you could look at putting up a baby gate um, in the in the doorway of your little one's room and that will just provide a barrier so that you can you know, you can kind of intercept them before they get out of the room. And and that's, you know, sometimes a really good safety thing to do. Um, the other thing that some families do, depending on, um, you know, if if they can climb over the baby gate, for example, and you, you, want, you want to really know before they have the opportunity to get down the hallway, you could put a little bell or something on their door so that when they touch the door, you, you hear them before they get, you know, hopefully you'll hear them before they get that chance to come out of the room. 
So that's a tip there just for some things to consider and think about this before you move into their big bed. Ideally, write down a plan of what you're going to do if they get out of bed and how you're going to support them to understand that they stay in their bed for sleep time. Um, so that's moving from cot to big bed. So I've covered when when would you think about moving them, how you'd go about moving them to make it positive, and then how to actually support them to stay in their bed and not get up all the time. And that, you know, a lot of this comes down to parents being very consistent, being really patient while they get used to that new big bed and really setting the healthy supportive boundaries from the start. Because, you know, if they're coming out repeatedly and they're, you know, they're being met with um, lots of interaction. Um, you know, maybe they jump into your bed and that, you know, they they sleep in there for a while when you ordinarily wouldn't do that, then it's going to make them want to do that the next night. So just think about it from the beginning. Think about what's important for your family and then put a plan in place, write it down, have a consistent approach and stick to that. So that's moving from cot to big bed. The second is when do you start trimming the nap? So there was lots of questions that came through with this around, you know, oh, my little one's, you know, sleeping for two hours, but she's not going to sleep until late at night and she's waking early in the morning. She's having night wakes, um, you know, all sorts of things. And obviously at this age, a lot of little ones are at daycares. So that's another thing to consider. Sometimes daycares, you know, they're having a really long nap at daycare or quite a short sleep. And, you know, there's different factors to think about. So in terms of when to trim the nap back, um, it's really normal for most little ones to drop that last nap, so that long lunch nap. Generally, the upper limit would be around three and a half or three. Most little ones by the age of three have have dropped it off, um, sometimes, you know, between two and two and a half. But I'd, I'd say on average, it's around two and a half to three is when little ones would drop that nap off. Now, in terms of thinking about that nap and, you know, whether it should be cut down or anything like that, there's a couple of approaches you can take. And this, you know, I'm going to talk through personally what we've done as well. So with the lunch nap, around the age of two, I generally recommend thinking about dropping it down to about 90 minutes. Um, You could even start with sort of an hour and 45 um, for a few weeks and then trim it down to an hour and a half. That's one approach. So just gradually shorten it. Um, So at the moment, for example, where we're doing about an hour and a half with Hazel and she's two years and four months, probably a month or a month ago, we started to, to trim it back. She was having about two hours um, sometimes even a bit longer and we were just starting to see that she wasn't that tired at bedtime and, um, yeah, we, we felt that it was impacting her readiness to actually go to sleep in the evening. So that's one approach. You can actively start to trim it back. So start with kind of an hour and 45, 90 minutes. And then, you know, when your little one gets to kind of two and a half, you could maybe think about cutting it back to an hour or 45 minutes if you wanted to. Um, and then just see how they go with that for a while and, and follow their lead with how they're going with that lunch nap. 
Um, I will say as well, I meant to say this um, at the start of this point, that I do have a free NAP transitions guide on the website. Um, so if you go to the website and click on guides, you'll find a free NAP transitions ebook and that walks you through how to drop every single NAP step by step. So it's really, really clear and it's going to help you feel confident um, and not stress out about dropping NAPs. So the proactive approach is one. So starting to drop it down yourself, you know, just um, of your own accord. The other option is just to wait and do it based on what your little one is doing. So um, you could literally keep the nap at two hours or however long they're napping for, for as long as you like, um, and then really just look out for any clues that that nap is causing an issue. So are they not that tired at bedtime? Are they taking a long time to fall asleep? Are they having some, you know, recurring night wakes? Are they waking early in the morning? Looking at those things and uh, using that to then um, as a prompt to drop the nap down. So for some some little ones, they, they might not need to actually start dropping that nap down until they turn three. So that that's really the two approaches it's proactive or reactive um with with dropping that nap down and you know you don't have to drop it until you really feel that you need to and generally the deciding factor is that it's just um impacting their bedtime settling and they're just not that tired for their night's sleep or you start to see the persistent early wakes so really that that's your deciding factor when you're seeing those things happen and you've tried slowly trimming it back over time and you're still seeing those issues then considering dropping it off and or even alternate days offering a nap and then before you finally drop it and obviously bedtime would need to be brought earlier if they're not napping the other tip there, once you um, are kind of combined point two and point three, which is trimming the nap and dropping the lunch nap, I've just realized, but that's okay. Um, the other thing, when you do drop that nap off, whatever age that is, it's a really good idea to replace it with some chill out time, some quiet time. So that might be you know, setting up some puzzles for your little one. It might be putting a movie on. It might be setting up some drawing or some Lego, something where they can kind of rest their body a little bit. Um, I know um, as a parent of, of a two and a half year old, it's not always possible to get them to do a chilled out activity, but at least kind of offering that um, at their usual kind of nap time is a good way for them to just have a little bit of a, a rest um, if they enjoy reading you know you could just do some reading with them um, and you know you could um, talk to daycare about the same kind of thing um, often they will do a bit of chill out time in the middle of the day and you know even painting is quite good something that they are sort of a little bit more still and not kind of running around and um, burning lots of energy so that's point two and three when to trim the nap and dropping the lunch nap altogether. Now, number four is bedtime stalling. And this is a really interesting one. I have seen this with my little girl a little bit, um, particularly once she turned two, I started to see patches of it. And there's a couple of things to think about with bedtime stalling. So bedtime stalling is literally like they, they 
stall bedtime. So they might, you know, ask for extra books. They might, you know, be trying to kind of leave the room when you've gone in there for wind down routine and, you know, they're wanting to go and show you something or they really want like another drink or some food or they're just finding, you know, things that um, they, they need to do in that moment that will stall bedtime. And it's literally just because they have FOMO. They don't want to go to bed. They're enjoying themselves. And, you know, it's also kind of common around two as well for them to sometimes get a bit of bedtime anxiety. So it can kind of play into that. If they're feeling a little bit anxious at bedtime, sometimes they will stall um, just to delay that bedtime a little bit. So what do we do about it? Um, Again, this really comes back to those healthy, supportive boundaries. When our little ones are stalling at bedtime or when they're feeling a little bit anxious at bedtime, we really want them to feel supported with a healthy boundary that provides a lot of um, security. They know what to expect um, and they actually feel supported by those boundaries. So what I do personally, if Hazel's trying to leave the room, for example, at bedtime, um, you know, I, I sort of try and distract onto a different book or kind of draw her back to what we were doing. And I don't kind of engage with leaving the room, for example. If she wants, you know, a drink, we always offer her a sippy cup to take to bed anyway. But if like she's drunk all her water, I might go and get some more for her and bring it back. But we really try and stay in the room rather than leaving and kind of running around. Um, The other thing you might find is, you know, they don't want to get in their sleeping bag or they're, you know, they're stalling and kind of like putting all their teddies to bed and just like doing lots of different things rather than kind of getting in their sleeping bag and doing their usual wind down routine. So really the biggest thing is just sticking to your original plan. Um, Even if you spend a few extra minutes doing the wind down, like if, if Hazel's doing that, we often do an extra book and just... Um, you know, focus back on what we were doing and really try and not kind of tell her off or anything like that. We don't want to um, have that negative kind of energy at bedtime, but it's it's just about kind of redirecting, you know, how about we read this book together and sitting down and, and doing that. Um, and then really just holding firm on when, when bedtime is um, and following their cues as well. So, if bedtime is normally say 6.45, 6.50 and they're kind of stalling a bit, you know, leading up to that time, it's got to 6.45 and they're still kind of doing stuff and getting out toys in their room, um, then, you know, follow through with your original plan, you know, draw the blind, you know, continue with your wind down routine, pop the things away um, and and really just stick to your guns. That's the biggest thing with bedtime stalling. If you kind of engage in the bedtime stalling, it tends to um, lead to it, um, yeah, becoming more apparent and you see it more often. Um, and, you know, that's because there's no kind of, there's no sort of firm boundary there at bedtime. Um, and they kind of know that, oh, I, I can do this or like, I don't want to go to bed if I know that I can go and do this other thing that I really want to do. Um, so that's bedtime stalling, really, really common, as I said, and this is really about having a clear plan at bedtime, sticking to your guns. Um, I know my husband will probably kill me for saying this, but, um, he, I'm probably better at this than him. He does kind of engage and do extra activities and that often you'll find one parent will do that. Um, but really consistent, um, yeah, really clear, boundaries that you're both going to follow um, and that 
you know, send a really clear, consistent message to your little ones so that they, you know, they don't um, persist with the stalling because they know that, you know, this is what we do at bedtime. The other thing is, so the fifth one is throwing comforters out of the bed. So this uh, this came up, I think three people asked this question in, on my, um, in my question box. And as I said, this is very common with little ones, um, you know, younger ones, like, you know, whenever you first introduce a comforter, they can throw it out of the cot. It's really common when you get to toddler years because they really understand cause and effect. They understand that, um, you know, I throw the comforter out of the cot and then, you know, mum or dad will come in and return that to me. So really thinking about, again, what um, healthy supportive boundaries are you setting for them? If they've thrown it out of the cot, um, you might go in and replace it once, um, but I wouldn't be repeatedly replacing it and giving it back to them because it essentially just becomes a bit of a game. And we don't, you know, we don't want to encourage that when ideally they would be going to sleep. So uh, offering, you know, a couple of comforters in their cot potentially and really just returning it once and and sticking to your guns after that and and not not um, repeatedly returning it. The other thing you can do if you're finding that, you know, they're throwing it out and then they're getting really upset, um, what I'd suggest then is go into the room, pop the comforter back in the cot, not in their hand, just put it, you know, in their cot. Um, and then, you know, you could use some some reassuring words like some verbal reassurance um, and you could even sit there if they're responding well to that and just use some verbal reassurance like shushing for a little while um, until, you know, they're kind of calm and then leave the room again. Um, but really trying to minimise um, how many times you give that comforter back and they, they, they do start to understand that, you know, I, if I throw it out, I'm not going to get it back. So... Um, really keeping calm there, sticking to your guns, and that's really going to help um, them, you know, not throw the comforter out anymore, which in the end, that's that's the, um, the end result most parents <laughs> are keen to get. Um, so that is five of the most common things that you might come across with a toddler. So I'll just summarize those for you. Moving from cot to big bed, when to trim the nap, dropping the lunch nap altogether, bedtime stalling and throwing comforters out of the bed. And we talk through when those things might happen, why they happen, and then how to actually go about um, supporting your little one if those um, little hurdles have come up. I hope that was helpful. Um, I love talking about toddler sleep and it is, it's a different kettle of fish when you are navigating toddler sleep compared to a baby, particularly when they start getting out of bed. Um, if I can leave you with uh, any words of wisdom or like one, you know, one takeaway message, it's about those healthy, supportive boundaries. Really stick to your plan um, because when you don't, our little ones don't know what to expect and that that's when they start to sort of push that boundary because they don't know where the boundary is. Um, so it's not a negative thing. You're not doing anything um, wrong by, by setting a healthy boundary. Our little ones actually really thrive on knowing what to expect from us and they feel really supported knowing where the boundary is. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that. As I said um, at the beginning, I would love if you could subscribe to this podcast if you've been loving it and leave a review. Um, as always, my DMs are open. I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. And also if you've got any tips for 
um, you know, future episode topics. If you've got a question you'd love me to answer, um, I, you know, I love making these as relevant um, to, to you guys, my beautiful community as I can. So have a lovely day. Um, the other thing I'll just add is, um, for the next couple of weeks, I'm actually going to be away on holidays in beautiful Western Australia. So, um, the usual weekly episodes will be coming out, um, and yeah, there'll be no interruption to the podcast, but you will see that yeah, on my stories and things, I'll be away and enjoying hopefully lots of beautiful sunshine. (laughs) Have a great, um, rest of your week and yeah, thanks for listening.